This podcast is supported by our friends at Birkenstock Australia. Birkenstock products are predominantly manufactured in Germany with a focus on quality, comfort, and classic styles. Birkenstock's footbeds are made from sustainable materials, including cork, jute, and natural latex. Given their durability, Birkenstock products are sustainable by nature. Birkenstock, tradition since 1774. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Dumbo Feather Podcast, where we chat with extraordinary people around the world who are charting a hopeful future. If you subscribe to our print magazine today, or you're already a subscriber, you can expect to receive our music issue of Dumbo Feather in mid-July. I'm telling you now because there's so much goodness in there, I want everyone to get their hands on it. We're looking forward to sharing that with you very soon. In anticipation of that issue, I've got an oldie but a goodie to share with you on the podcast today. It's our chat with Australian music legend Xavier Rudd, which took place a few years back. Xavier is a folk blues artist and multi-instrumentalist whose songs speak to the heart of many environmental and social issues. Check his music out now if you haven't already, and then get back to this episode. He's speaking here with another familiar voice, songwriter and Dumbo Feather friend, Lydia Fairhall. I think sometimes a really nice way to drop in to these kinds of yarns is to absolutely, even though we're on the phone, acknowledge country. So I really want to take a moment to do that. I grew up down on Wathorong country. Oh, did you really? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, down in the south there. Yeah, the beautiful. So cooler yeah. nations, big respect. It's such yeah. a, an incredible part of the world. Oh, it's deadly. It's cold. It's freezing. <laughs> I know. My family's about to make a big pilgrimage up north, so we're, we're letting go of the last <laughs> days of coldness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm uh, on country right now. Oh, yeah. that is amazing. Oh. That is where we're moving to next week. Oh, true. Yes. Yeah. Oh, what? Actually moving? Yeah, we're actually the moving. I grew up there and we've been in Melbourne for about seven years and now we're, we're relocating and going up to a little place called Udalo. Oh, I don't know that place. Yes, it's special, hey. Where's that one? Do you know Mullaney? You know Woodford Folk Festival, yeah, Mullaney. Yeah. It's in the hinterland up up near those kind of spots. Deadly. Yeah. You know, I'm a Warramai woman, so my mob are from a little coastal town as well, Saltwater River people. Oh, and hi. Yeah, I've been what? here in Melbourne seven years. So where's that spot? Just north of Newcastle. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so my great grandma was born on a mission at Karua. That's pretty strong country, eh? Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Oh. It's abundant with oh. with food and all of the things that you would want and obviously also hit pretty hard being so close to Sydney at that point oh. of invasion and colonization. My great grandparents actually worked up and down the railway line, so they lived in tents their whole life. Very wandering people. Yeah, what a story. Eh? Had to be, yeah. Did you talk to her much about it? I definitely talked to my grandma a lot about it because she was part of that. That was her childhood, living in a tent. She was born on the Cuyahoga River. Yeah, hard life, you know. Did you say Nan was stolen? Is it? No, Nan wasn't. Her parents were Indian, Indian yeah. father, and like a lot of women at that time, great-grandma married up with the Indian fella. And she was born in the tent on the Cuyahoga River, grew up, you know, working that railway line up and down the East Coast. But at some point she was separated from her mum 
not in a stolen generation context, but for various reasons, they weren't able to keep living together. So, you know, it's like many of us, there's a lot of beauty and a lot of painful history as well. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It does. Look, I think something that I reckon is a pretty obvious connection point between you and I and knowing a little bit about your story and listening to your music is that we're not oblivious to the injustices that our people have faced, but I feel very drawn to your work in that you don't dwell in it either and that you are able to focus in on a higher vibration even amongst the trauma. Yeah. And so it seems like you really have a vision and a commitment to promoting strength and empowerment and well-being in, in all of the work that you do. Yeah, yeah, oh, cheers. <laughs> um, you know, I guess a lot of that stuff for me, I always kind of I had a lot of faith in that spirit level, yeah. you know, because I guess I understand definitely in my story there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of shame stuff that doesn't get talked about and mm-hmm. I grew up knowing that and so there wasn't a lot of that personal level to draw from. Yeah. And, you know, I always had this connection and this thing came through me in the form of music and as I've got older, you know, I feel like it's maybe my great-grandmother or my nan that's involved, you know, there's definitely the spirit that comes up through my music. Yeah. Um, and has a lot to say and from a young age almost like I was gifted this wisdom in a way in the fact that I was able to separate my ego from what I was doing yeah from a young age I was able to really recognize that part of what's going on with me here is not me it's coming from some other place and I really need to just let that be what it is and not let my ego change it or get involved you know just present it how it comes through beautiful thing well, I was always able to maintain that because it was just a natural understanding and it's still the same way today. Certain music comes from my emotional self and stories and things that are going on around me, but there's a lot of music that comes through me that comes from somewhere else. And I just let it be what it is. As I've got older, I'm able to put in words more as to what it might be. I'll never know. Not meant to know, I guess, you know, who it is and what it is. Mm. Meant to hold space for that energy, that music, that spirit and bring it through be clean, be strong, be a warrior for it and treat it with the utmost respect. So the analogy I often use is my music, what I think of it, it's sort of like if you were to take your nan to church, you'd take her to church but you wouldn't tell her what to wear. And it's sort of like saying, I'm standing, I have my music, I let it be what it is, what comes through real strong and then just honour that and share it. I hope I'm doing the right thing. Absolutely. And, you know, it's very clear that, it doesn't matter how much separation has occurred or disconnection or lack of physical stories to cling on to. Our ancestors will always call us home and it's an arts-based culture, so of course it's going to be through those mediums. That makes absolutely logical sense. I was having this big yarn today with one of these beautiful young women that I mentor and she's the daughter of the Warumpi Band. And we were talking about consciousness and what that really means in context of being an activist as well or how do you start to have those conversations in the Indigenous community because sometimes they're contentious things to talk about. They can be really hard but ultimately as long as we are having those conversations and making music and painting those paintings and doing those dances knowing that the ways of our old people are absolutely embedded within a spiritual framework, we'll be okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also trusting in the strength of that spirit. It's easy for us as we dip into our egos and all the rest. When I say ego too, I mean not just self-inflation, I mean our ego is our whole emotional self. 
we're all victims to it. We all suffer those insecurities and those things that we go through. And trusting the ancestors and the spirit of culture is important, you know, to recognise that no matter what we do, no matter what we say, no matter who we're around, no matter what happens, that spirit is always going to ring through. It's been evident through society. I mean, society tried to absolutely abolish the culture. Mm-hmm. And still that spirit rang through and still today it rings through. The hardest, toughest times, the craziest story. There's evidence of it every fucking day. Yeah. And so we're okay. <laughs> we're okay. And we always are. Hey, and I think if you are moving through the world as a spiritual being, having a physical human experience, you become less attached or less identified with the trauma and you're able to witness it from a different place. Yeah, it almost becomes an honour to be able to experience that contrast. Yeah, it does. I often say people I'm talking to around the place and all the rest, and you know, spirit doesn't judge the colour of your skin. If you're in a sacred place, spirit will pass through you just like it will pass through the next black fella. But the difference is the knowledge. Um, yeah. People have been blessed with that knowledge of understanding what that place means and knowing how to approach that place and mm-hmm. be respectful of that place. And, and people who haven't had that knowledge will absorb that in a different way, will feel that spirit in a different way. That mm. might be that elated feeling of, oh, I love Australia. Wow, it feels amazing <laughs> in this place, you know? And yeah. the view will, you know, put it in that kind of frame of mind is that's the feeling of that spirit that's coming through. Mm. In a negative way, oh, I feel sick here or I'm a bit, I'm a bit scared. Yeah. What's going on? You know, I'm bit, you know, something in the bush or, you know, something. Mm-hmm. Oh, I better get out of here but not really understand what it is. Yeah. And I think that's the most devastating part of society these days, you know, for everyone. I feel sorry for the whole nation in that respect. That knowledge that's been withheld, that reconciliation that's been withheld from us as caretakers of such a powerful place is so devastating. Everyone deserves to grow up with that knowledge to understand country because we all feel country. And it doesn't matter who it is. You know, you might get someone who's couch potatoes, never goes outside, who never thinks anything beyond what's going on on Instagram or TV or whatever. But they still might take their shoes off and walk through some place and something will pull them into that connection. I see it all the time. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing, isn't it? It's so strong. The other side of that too is I think we talked about my positivity before. I've been here and there and learnt things over time and connected with a lot of great elders of, of all sorts of different cultures around the world. Always take in what they say. And one thing that really came through to me strong a while ago in Peru was that it is a lot of the time our ego that puts us in this place of damaging to country. We're so damaging to our earth as human beings. Mm. Look at what we're doing, look at what we're doing. And yes, of course we are, but that ego space also takes us to a place where we think we can judge what we're like because we think this earth is so fragile. Our earth is very strong and much further beyond us than we'll ever know. So although I want to take care of land and sea, I also don't stress too hard about it. I've learnt that. You know, I used to worry a lot more about stuff that's going on. And it's easy to worry because when you care, when you love country, when you love our natural world, you care. You're devastated when you see the shit that goes on. I feel like we also at the same rate have to give thanks for all the beautiful stuff we get given every day from country and the wisdom to exist with it. It's very important to celebrate that positivity, to celebrate where we're at because the other thing is, you know, I was up in Gurry a little while ago. Well, I was watching this crane. We were watching this crane for most of the day and trying to get a whiting, you know, in amongst all the city <laughs> And sitting there for at least the whole of the low tide, an hour either side of it in this one spot just standing there. 
just razzing up the mullet here and there and then waiting for a whiting to come through, and that's what he was wanting. Watched him, eventually he got himself a mullet. He sat there for two hours, and it made me think, we used to always do that. We were so mm-hmm. patient. We had the time and the space to be at peace and get our feed when it came to us and have that patience and live by the seasons and by what was going on around us day to day and be extremely patient. And I think the other thing we suffer from now, and this is a perspective I got from the crane, we want everything to happen so quick. We want reconciliation to be so We want everything now. That's what we've become. And we get upset and we get worried and angry if it doesn't. But we have to be positive because there is a lot of change since then. You know, like there's yeah. a lot of good change happening on a street level. People are rising up, people are connecting, people are wanting to understand culture. It's actually quite fast when you look at the history of evolution. Yeah. Things are happening pretty fast, really. 15, 20 years ago, you know, I'd never see white fellas Aboriginal flags, stickers on their cars or T-shirts or, or anything, you know, that was sort of that bridge wasn't crossed. So, you know, you think about how many people now feel comfortable enough to accept their passion for culture as a white person in Australia and broadcast it publicly. You know, that's just beautiful. That's a sense of pride for everyone. Yeah. And these are the narratives that we really need to give strength to. How do we remember the ways of our old people rather than worrying, like you said, or fighting constantly for conditions to change? How do we reclaim our wisdom around being deliberate creators with an eye on the long game? Because one thing, and you're absolutely right, that our people know how to do is take our time. (laughs) You know, you don't survive for over 120,000 years without knowing how to sit in stillness and be okay with that. One of my daily challenges is how do I sit in that space of reciprocity and belonging and resonating with one consciousness alongside advocating for that systemic change? And there's times when, you know, like all of us, I've been very involved in being an activist and I think I'm at a point now where my inner peace and that nurturing is my strongest form of resistance. And it pushes and pulls and I guess, you know. Don't worry about it so much. Don't beat yourself up. Yes, that's it. The opportunities for you to mentor a sissy there or, you know, different things that come across your path as yourself as an elder, what you're doing and where you're sitting in amongst it all really doesn't do anything. No. Because you've already put it out to the universe and the universe has put it to you, your place in culture and how you feel and where you're at. That's your dreaming. Exactly. And if this other way of working was at all impactful, we'd keep doing it, but it hasn't been that successful. What do you think it means for non-Indigenous people? Because you kind of referenced this before. What do you think it means for non-Indigenous people to belong to this country? Well, I feel like human beings are labelling each other all the time. It goes against the grain of our dreaming stories and the way that the spiritual side of life works because it's not even relevant. You know, it doesn't exist. It's a higher self. So that judgment stuff in any culture doesn't exist. So we all belong to country. And I feel like all Australians belong to country. All Australians live in a space. Any human being that's on a space where that spirit's passing through them, they're the caretakers of that land. Obviously, it's different if they're devastating place, but that's, again, that's ego stuff. It's just like, you know, you can draw from the mob up in Arnhem Land. You go up there, the way it works, they'll adopt you in their plan straight away. They'll just assess your heart first, and once that call is made, once that sign is given, then... You're brought into the fold. Yeah. There's no questioning. There's no judgment after that. You know, you're related to so-and-so, and you can't talk to auntie. 
blah, blah, blah. And so I feel like that alone is the problem, that we're constantly looking at each other as black and white. Yeah. You see it in America all the time. It gives me the shits, actually, when I see American comedians, and there's always jokes about who's black and who's white. You know, some of it's funny. Like, I get it. But the sad part about it is always a highlight. There's always a racial joke. And it's in order to smooth wrongs in the past, and I totally get it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's normal. But it's always that judgment thing, us judging each other. Now, on a spiritual level, in terms of country, it doesn't exist. So I feel like that bitterness is there with our Aboriginal elders. There's been so much shit that's happened. There's people have inherited bad ways that aren't helpful on the Aboriginal side and on the white side. So I feel personally that the change has to come with the kids and the kids have to reconstruct how our culture is portrayed. And the fact is that our culture now has changed. It is about black and white. It's not about just black. But obviously Aboriginal Australia needs to be teachers. It's got to come from that honouring place, doesn't it? Yeah, the only way that I see that happening is we tried it down right around the country. We raised a bunch of money. We did some festivals and it was all about putting money in towards education and getting elders into schools. That's the thing. I feel like if languages and stories were taught in schools to both black and white Australia to young kids, then kids felt part of the culture as they do in New Zealand. They understand that story. They understand. They get them out of the classroom. They get out and go into the scrub and, they, you know, it's fun and everyone can connect with it. Instantly, the Aboriginal kids who often feel alienated from the white kids and their culture only exists at home or in the community and they can't talk about it, white kids, because white kids don't get it. All of a sudden, they feel proud because they're part of this beautiful ancient culture that's being celebrated as a children's school and everyone's understanding and they can walk with a sense of pride. And be the white kid who feel guilt and they feel shame and they feel all this shit that's come along with what their ancestors did can also feel like they belong and realise that some of the racist shit that's been passed down is not actually true. You know, Uncle Gumbloy, sometimes we'd be travelling together and we'd notice racist things, you know, people getting treated differently than I did if we walked into a shop. And I'd get pissed off and he'd always be like, oh, poor fella, don't worry, you know, it's not his fault, it's how he's brought up. And it still exists today. Yeah. It breaks your heart. Generations, people who don't understand. And our education system is the most important part of the story. If our government decided we're going to install Indigenous education in every school and we're going to make it as important as the rest of the curriculum, you imagine society 20 years from now once all those kids grew up. That's what I see. We all belong but we haven't had the opportunity to learn together. It's that landing of that true understanding that this country has a black soul, a black history, but it also has a black future. And I think some of the hesitation from our community, and I hear what you're saying, some of the hesitation is that how can we talk about one consciousness when we haven't yet even consiled the systemic change at that level of education with our young ones? Is the bridge to be able to have that conversation about being one spirit? But that bit does have to happen first and you can understand why there's a lot of mistrust. But we have to start somewhere. It has to start. And the old people have to accept too that that reconciliation stuff has to be done in a different way. You know, The fact is that everyone has to work together and, and it has to be reshaped. The truth is that the future elders, unfortunately, are going to be mixed blood people. It's what's going on. That needs to be acknowledged. And it's a hard one because it brings up so much shame and so much pain. In order to keep the culture strong, our full-blood people are dying out at a fast rate. And we have to get everyone involved as a nation to keep that spirit alive. 
every time I go to New Zealand. I was there recently and this mob did a welcome dance for me. And it was one of the most powerful things I've seen. And the next minute, this one fellow started singing a Māori song and the whole crowd started singing along with it. There's 2,000, 3,000 people with pride singing along with a mob that just danced. They sing along and everyone's singing together, you know. Mm. Yeah. And we really ever see that in Australia. No, it doesn't we happen. Never see, you know, the sad part is I feel equally as sorry for white Australia because they're denied that opportunity. Mm. We know about pain on the black side, but also the white side, there's so much pain, there's so much shame and so much guilt. And most people are good people. Most people are absolutely appalled by the history, yeah. you know, and they don't want to be connected to that, and it's sad. I think it's often why it doesn't get talked about because people just feel this immense shame. They don't know how to deal with it. Well, it's like what you were saying before about your Jilpi there that was saying, don't worry, I feel sorry for him because it is that concept that racism is an illness. It's a marker of somebody or a community that is really unwell. And I think that's where we have to flip the narrative a little bit. Like we're not constantly the victims, nor are we the perpetrators, but you can definitely see a narrative for whitefellas where they've been robbed of so much and they've robbed themselves of it, but their future generations have really caught the ramifications of that. And one of the things that completely bowls me over when I'm overseas and I do a lot of international work with other First Nations communities But it is the way that our people are viewed and even in places like Aotearoa where the culture is so strong and unbroken in a way that we have missed out. But it's this understanding of us as the oldest living culture on earth and they look to us as the grandmothers and the grandfathers. And that reverence that I have experienced as an Aboriginal person in other First Nations global communities, it brings tears to my eyes every time I talk about it. It's amazing. Yet our own brothers and sisters that live here and are born on this country and walk beside us don't see us that way. It's a great disservice to them. But you know what? Yeah. It is what it is. It is what it is. (laughs) And we have to exist. We have to push forward like all the old people had to and they had fucking chains around their neck. And we have to continue to shine light where we can. And I've grown to understand that that's something that I'm meant to do and everyone has the light. We all have that equal role. We're all connecting the dots. Look at all those dot paintings, they're all connected. They all lead somewhere. You know, we're all part of it. We soldier on and we have to be patient. That sadness that we feel, those tears that roll, the things that we feel and that we see when we go through communities and we see desperate times and we see desperate people and we hear of all the youth suicide and we hear of all the shit that's going on. That sadness, as it always has, over time also gives us power and it gives us that passion. Well, there are just some things that can never be taken away from you and they, at the end of the day, are really the only things that matter. Yeah, true. So you live a big life. You're a dad and a muso and a songwriter and a surfer. What does a moment in your day look like when you feel the absolute most alive and connected to spirit? What is that moment for you? Right now, I'm sitting by the fire just talking to you. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. And, and you're part of this circle. If you weren't on the phone, I'd be sitting here with the pups by the fire, listening to the kookaburras just finished and the crickets have started up, the moon's up now and Jadapun's just appeared. It's all just that daily reminder of the bigger picture. Yeah, yeah. And I just like being outside. I take my boat out and go for a spear or go for a surf. I just like observing what's going on outside. 
people think musos are all you know stuck inside and a lot of them are but a lot of the time i actually work inside for two hours or something that i can outside for the rest of the time. Yeah, so that's it. it. Me that way. Just is the thing that brings you straight back into alignment, no matter what's going down. If you can be with Mother Earth, be with country, wherever you are, even if it's not your own country, it's just that instant medicine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's important. Sometimes people ask me in interviews, what do we do? How do we change? Cut down on plastic, all those things. Yeah, great, you can do all those things. They're important, but I often think if everyone walked out of their office every day and took their shoes off and just gave thanks for a second by a tree or watched a bird pass over or, or something and gave thanks to the land every day. Imagine every human being did that once a day, 30 seconds, went back to whatever they were doing. I just feel like energetically that would be a massive shift in the vibration of humans. And, yeah. and without trying, without even having to put in much effort, instantly that would bring change to people's day-to-day lives. Yeah. People would start to look at things a bit differently. I was talking to one of my uncles about climate change and he just started laughing and he's like, the fact that you could approach a physical problem and think that there's a physical solution to it is just very back to front. It's exactly what you're saying. The shift in consciousness, in energy, in vibration, it has to happen first. And through healing ourselves and our relationships with each other, we are healing country because we are country. That's the, it's one story here. (laughs) Well, we're we're part of it. We are it. People look at us like we're on country. Yes. We're of country. Just like, it doesn't matter if we're the fattest potato on a couch that hasn't been outside and is making calls on where to mine. We're still of the earth and that human being still has that ability to recognise it. And so, yeah, it's frustrating because you're like, how do you wake people up and all the rest? Well, you can't. You can't. You can't worry. Those people have to wake themselves up. Humans are going to live and they're going to die and they're going to live and they're going to die. And a large portion of humans maybe just aren't on that level. It's not all of us that are connected on a certain level. But there's always been leaders in every tribe and there's always been special people in different societies that help other people come along in different ways. And it's part of human culture. It's part of how humans work. So we can't worry about everyone else. We've got to just soldier on and do what we do. And, yeah, people are going to live and die. Just like you look in scrubs, certain plants don't live. Certain ones get diseased. Certain ones are strangling other ones, and they're not helping the ecosystem. They're not doing much. But eventually the ecosystem gobbles them up and it starts again or a fire comes through and things change. Isn't it amazing how quickly it restores itself as well? Like it has within it its own seed of restoration and destruction. And it's exactly the same. All those systems work the same way with human beings. No matter how intelligent we are, no matter what we invent, a system will always be in place. That was the sophistication of our law too, wasn't it? Like we followed the law and the cycles of nature and applied it to the ethics of our relationships, our kinship, and it was a very refined way of being and moving through the world. And even back then there was people that weren't probably helpful in the tribe and people, you know, were bad eggs and lived and they died and that's part of human beings. I guess what I'm saying is less energy needs to be spent on being angry, being upset being disappointed in everyone else. It's definitely hard. I mean, I'm constantly disappointed in people, but reach out. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. Just keep going on with what you're doing. 
And maybe they're acting that way in your journey for your growth as well. And I think it is that victim, poor fellow mentality sometimes. It's like we're constantly on the receiving end and it's like, "Mm, what if you called this in for a reason? And I think there's a lot of strength in that. And you're right, it's focusing on the well-being, focusing on the strength. It's so important. It means that we can actually imagine a future where we do belong together and that we are walking together as one people. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on the Dumbo Feather podcast. I hope you took some pearlers away from Lydia and Xavier. You can expect more of that, as I mentioned, in our upcoming music issue of the magazine. Dumbo Feather is produced on the lands of the Wurrung Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and edited up on Arakwa country by the guys of Yaga and Cheshire Audio. Thanks to Birkenstock Australia for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. You can check out their beautiful range of footwear over at birkenstock.com.au. I hope you're all well out there. I'll be back with you again soon on the Dumbo Feather Podcast. Podcast.